Welcome to That Rooted Feeling Podcast, where I bring you high-value health information and practical tips to help you improve your lifestyle habits with a focus on plant-centered nutrition so you can achieve optimal wellness that radiates into and improves all aspects of your life, giving you that rooted feeling that you won't know until you have it. Welcome back to another week and another episode of That Rooted Feeling. I'm your host, Dr. Brooke Stubbs, a board-certified physician in internal and lifestyle medicine with a master's degree in nutrition. But more importantly, I have been through my own transformational health journey, and it has given me a deep sense of well-being that I want to share with everyone. So I am on a mission to provide the education and inspiration to help others improve their overall wellness, lessen the risk of chronic disease, and add quality years to their lives. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, a good friend of mine, Dr. Carolyn Moyers. She is a board-certified OBGYN and founder of Sky Women's Health in Fort Worth, Texas. She received her medical degree from the University of North Texas Health Center, Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine in Fort Worth, Texas. She completed her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. She completed her pre-doctoral fellowship in neuromuscular medicine at University of North Texas Health Science Center with over a decade of experience in private practice and working as an OB hospitalist. Hi, Carolyn. Hi. I'm happy to be here today. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy you're here. Always. It's good to talk to you. (laughs) Even more special when we get to do it on a podcast. That's right. That's right. So let's get into it because I talked to you on the phone last week about so many exciting things, particularly about hormone replacement therapy and menopause. I really want to get your take on this. You've been giving some speeches lately to medical professionals on how to approach this dynamic because, you know, for so long we have been scared. So tell us, how do we get to a place of being scared about hormone replacement therapy? I mean, it's a great question, right? Um, and right now, menopause is having a moment. You know, uh, we've had two articles in the New York Times in the last six months. Oprah, oh my God, Oprah. And my friend Heather Hirsch has, was on this panel with Oprah. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know to dream like a big audacious dream of speaking to Oprah. But, you know, <laughs> it was amazing. But so uh, in this society, we really don't talk about this aspect of aging. You know, we may have, we have, kind of poor puberty education and then sex education. And then nobody knows what's going on with menopause, but specifically how we all got scared of it, including physicians is that the women's health initiative came out in 2002. And there was a lot of alarmist findings around the research that was done. And it's really important that you know that the average age of the woman in the Women's Health Initiative was actually over 10 years past menopause. So not the ideal clients that were typically starting on hormone therapy. The average age was 63. Well, the average age of menopause is 51. Right. Yeah. So much young, a whole decade younger generation that were starting on hormone therapy who are miserable with their symptoms. Um, not to mention that um 70% were overweight, 50% were obese in the WHI, right? So not not really indicative of who we're treating. And so since then, those alarmist findings have really been stepped back. Um, but 
it's impacted not just a generation of women, but also physicians, right? So over 70%, probably 75% of women who go seeking treatment. So they actually go, yeah, these symptoms are just horrible. I'm going to go get some help. They don't know where to go because they're going to see their doctor and 75% are leaving untreated. Right. This is huge, right? So even in this panel with Oprah, it's it's totally worth your $39 to go spend on Oprah daily for the year (laughs) because they're creating this, you know, whole menopause curriculum. But in the panel, you've got an OB-GYN, you've got internal medicine who does uh, menopause medicine and Drew Barrymore. Marie Schreiber and Oprah, dear God. And Drew Barrymore is talking about how, you know, she feels like she's fairly educated. She's, you know, made her list of concerns and she's kind of got her timeline and she's been to multiple doctors and she still feels confused, right? This is the typical woman in the USA today seeking treatment for perimenopause, menopausal symptoms. They feel they're not at home in their body and they don't know where to turn. They think maybe I'm going crazy, right? But the list of symptoms for menopause, I mean, this list is so long and I just, I don't want to forget anything. So I'm just going to pull it up real quick. Difficulty sleeping, insomnia, night sweats, hot flashes, trouble concentrating, trouble with memory, low energy, more frequent urinary tract infections, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low sexual desire because when it hurts, you don't want it. Pain, a change in your periods, depression, especially if you've had a history of depression or postpartum depression. So something for us to really consider sadness, mood swings, irritability, aching joints, breast pain, thinning hair, racing, heart, um, weight around the abdomen and bloating. I mean, it impacts everything, right? Starting to wonder if I'm going through menopause. Right. I mean, and every woman at some point in their life can brush these symptoms off like, oh, it's just PMS or, oh, it's just, you know, it's a really busy time in life. And so the issue with perimenopause and menopause is that oftentimes women are told you're too young. It's all in your head. Doing hormone therapy now will just delay the inevitable. Right. And it's all BS because if the average age of menopause is 51, we have women 45 to 55 who are going through menopause, sometimes in their thirties, they're experiencing perimenopausal symptoms because perimenopausal symptoms can last for 10 years. Oh, wow. 10 years. So the most frequent center, the most common symptom we see initially is like periods start to go wonky, right? They just, (laughs) periods go off the rail. Either they're more frequent, they're less frequent, they're all over the place. You know, they're not regular anymore. And then hot flashes. So those are the most common things that we see. Okay. So I want to go back to when we're talking about the women's health initiative study, because you're saying there were some alarmist findings. What does that mean for in terms of just tell our listeners, because, you know, I know Mm -hmm. that, you know, they talked a lot about cancer risk and things like that. So tell us what else was in those findings that really shy doctors away from being readily available with their prescription pad to say, here's some hormone replacement therapy. Right. So honestly, at that time, most women were pulled off of their hormone replacement. Okay. Because we were told it causes breast cancer and cardiovascular risk and all these things. So just to put it in perspective, um, you know, now we know estrogen does not increase all cause mortality or deaths from heart disease or cancer. Estrogen increases longevity 
most notably when begun within the 10 years of the last menstrual period. So there is a timing hypothesis, right? So we know that as we age, right, 60 and beyond, we have just an inherent increased risk in heart disease um, and perhaps other medical complications that have occurred, right? So, and if it's begun within 10 years or under the age of 60, typically the risk benefit ratio for the general healthy woman, the benefits outweigh the risk, right? So it's safe to start in that time frame. Um, we know that vaginal estrogen is safe for everyone. And in the most striking about face from like 2003, the headlines were that HRT had no clinically uh, meaningful impact on health-related quality of life for women in menopause. In 2019, that tune was changed that hormone therapy is the most effective treatment for managing menopausal vasomotor symptoms. So. Right. So we know that. And and not to mention, you know, the benefits to um, cardiovascular health because um, it actually acts as a vasodilator. It can help, you know, keep those vessels healthy, um, osteoporotic risk or, or reduction um, without fewer side effects than some of the other medications that we get for osteoporosis. So there's wild benefits, but it was like, Estrogen causes breast cancer. Estrogen plus progesterone causes breast cancer. And so everybody was taking off of it. But the wild thing is that when I was going through training, I remember having these counseling um, discussions with women in the operating room or you know, in pre-op holding with attendings. And we were taking everybody's ovaries out if they were done having babies. But oh. yet we weren't giving them hormone replacement therapy, which we know reduces their risk if we're making them prematurely menopausal. And then we're not giving them hormone replacement therapy. We're decreasing their lifespan by at least three years. Oh gosh. I'm just thinking about some patients right now. Like, yeah. oh gosh, I need to call them right away. <laughs> so I want to go back to the breast cancer risk thing, because that's the big yeah. whammy, right? That's the reason yeah. I won't prescribe it unless I'm talking to somebody's oncologist right? If they've had a history of breast cancer, yep. tell me more. Tell me about the studies around that specifically. Yeah. So heart disease kills more than twice as many women as breast cancer does. Okay. okay that's true. Despite its unmistakable risk to women, heart disease remains almost invisible to women. We're more scared of breast cancer. Now with breast cancer, when you actually look at the relative risk, okay. So the link between smoking and lung cancer, right? Mm -hmm. What would you guess the relative risk is? It's mm, like two, I don't know. Like 26. Oh, okay. Okay. So this is, what is the association between the two, right? Significant. Okay. Um, using a drinking alcohol, um, the relative risk is 1.26. Okay. Okay. The use of Premarin. And progesterone, the relative risk is 1.24. Okay. Eating too many carbohydrates, the relative risk is 2.2. So do you hear the difference between like 1.24 and 26, right? The link between tobacco use and lung cancer is undeniable, right? But the use of primarin and progesterone it's not not so much. <laughs> Okay, so, so like I, I, let's let's start from the top because I'm not following. Yeah. So is okay. that for lung cancer risk or breast cancer risk? Because then you no, I'm just giving you a comparative. So many of the studies on hormone replacement therapy and risk of disease, especially breast cancer, right, have produced statistically modest or borderline results, showing you the difference between using hormone therapy of 1.24 
drinking alcohol, 1.26, eating too many carbohydrates, 2.2, right? These are risks. I'm just giving you, to put it in perspective, right? The truly meaningful risk is something like a relative risk of 26, right? We're talking about a relative risk of just 1.24. Yeah, but in my mind, if you've been diagnosed with cancer before, you're you're not going to accept any amount of relative risk. So are you saying you would put people on an estrogen replacement or hormone replacement therapy given that it's not as high of a relative relative risk? I'm tracking you now. Okay. So yes, I think you have to look at the data and you have to decide if your symptoms are significant enough that they're impacting your quality of life that you would qualify, right? And and a lot of that is going to go into play. Are they estrogen progesterone positive, right? Was it estrogen progesterone positive breast cancer? Um, How far are they out in remission, right? Have you had that discussion with their oncologist? Yes, that is definitely all piece of the puzzle. But if you peel that away, if, if estrogen were an important risk of breast cancer, we would expect that the rates of breast cancer would decline after menopause when our estrogen levels naturally reduce. But that's actually the opposite. That's when our rate of breast cancer actually increases. Yeah. We should just be replacing it with what we've lost, right? Not, it shouldn't increase any risk really. Right. Right. Because the goal is not to give you super therapeutic levels, but to keep you at a baseline level where you feel yourself, where you don't have the brain fog, where you're not having hot flashes and night sweats that are disturbing your sleep that are leading to agitation and weight gain, right? And all of the things. I mean, so I had a couple of more thoughts on that in regards to the estrogen, but if estrogen were carcinogenic, we would hardly expect that it would be beneficial to women with breast cancer. Women who are on hormone therapy and are diagnosed with breast cancer actually fare better than those who were not on hormone therapy at the time of diagnosis. That is so shocking to me, which is great. I mean, that's great information to have. Yeah. And even pregnancy, if you look at pregnancy, the circulating estrogen concentrations are 10 times higher than our normal everyday life, right? (laughs) Than other periods in our life. And yet women who are diagnosed with breast cancer during pregnancy actually have a similar prognosis as non-pregnant at the okay. same stage of breast cancer, if we compare yeah. it. Fascinating, fascinating. And to that point is that we know that your relative risk of breast cancer goes down if you've had multiple pregnancies and if you've had pregnancies earlier in life. And so those are all estrogen producing states. So that's, it's fascinating. It goes to your point. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so I have a question for you. Because I have all these patients that come to me and they're like, I'm getting weight. I can't sleep. I think my hormones are are low. And I can talk to them about their menstrual cycles and stuff. And they're not perimenopausal based on their uh, menses. Their menses are regular. But Okay. okay. So that's one subset of patients. And then there's another subset of patients where maybe there are, they're having some slight irregularities, but Mm -hmm. For people who are, might be in that not perimenopausal stage, but might be getting that early decade of, you know, hormone imbalances, is that something we can see on labs or more than likely our labs aren't going to be sensitive enough to tell us if we're having a little, yeah. So typically during perimenopause, which can be in your late thirties, hormones are generally not helpful. Yeah. 
Okay. So, I mean, could it be, a lot of it can be lifestyle, right? You know this so well, when you peel it away, you're like, oh, you're sleeping four and a half hours a night. That's not serving you. And you're eating, you know, the processed foods and you're not moving your body and you're not getting sunlight in the morning and kind of all of these aspects that we kind of have to unpeel um, to really look at. But in there is no lab test that is going to tell me that you're perimenopausal right? It's a collection of symptoms. If we've ruled out all other medical causes and we've still got this collection of symptoms, we can often chalk it up to perimenopause. And if we're in the um, fertile years still, where we know that our fertility declines as we age, however, you know, there's always that one, <laughs> um, you can easily go on an oral contraceptive pill that has so many benefits outside of preventing pregnancy. Um, but you know, it, it is a dose that is high enough to suppress ovulation during the time and it can manage symptoms, giving you a more regular period or helping to stop your periods. So there definitely are, are options available, but typically testing is not great. Um, sometimes we do test just simply to look at like a baseline hormones where we are, um, because if something's wildly off, it's obvious, you know, but typically I'm looking at our thyroid function and our, you know, cause we've got over 50 hormones. For so yeah, your hormones might be off, but it may not be your sex hormones. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, saliva testing is not helpful. Um, truly it's not, you know, it's, it's expensive. It's not accurate. I don't even know what to do with the results when they come in my office. Um, but a lot of people are like, oh, I did my saliva kit at home, you know, and I'm like, great. You know, it even uses like different measurements. And so I don't necessarily know what to do with those. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. So don't waste your money on saliva kits. Everyone. Don't waste your money. And, you know, an FSH, that, so the follicular stimulating hormones, that's sent from our brain to our ovaries to say, hey, produce our estrogen. And if it's not receiving enough, it'll keep keep pushing it out. And so we'll see the FSH elevated in postmenopause. Um, it's not accurate if you're on a birth control pill. Yeah. So, you know, if you're on OCPs, it's really of no use to test your hormones anyways. Um, if we're testing it and say you're not on hormones, but you wanted to get your hormones checked and we do run the lab and it comes back maybe mildly elevated, I really wouldn't diagnose you as menopausal or perimenopausal at that state. If especially if you're still having periods, right? Now, if it were wildly elevated and we were 10 months past cycles, you know, then more likely we're going down that road. So it really is, you know, please talk to your doctor. This is not um, personal medical advice. This is medical yeah. education. <laughs> um, but it really takes looking at, you know, the whole person, their entire medical history and what what's going on, you know, is medication impacting these symptoms, you know, it could be just so many things. I totally agree. And oftentimes after we've really optimized somebody's lifestyle and they're still kind of, you know, going through some of these mild hot flashes, the first thing I'll do is try a OCP, uh, or, yeah. you know, oral contraceptive pill. And a lot yeah. of times it will help kind of minimize the symptoms. And that gets people in that mindset of, okay, it's not an overt you know, hormone replacement therapy, because oftentimes it's that bridge to get patients to taking, uh, you know, HRT is there's somewhat of a barrier, right? You know, yeah. they don't have to be dedicated to that, but maybe a low dose um, OCP can help kind of bridge that gap. The dosing on um, birth control pills, it's actually higher than hormone therapy. Oh, hormone therapy doesn't suppress ovulation. 
there's a lot of misconceptions there. Tell us more then. That's what we want to know. What are the options? <laughs> okay. There are so many options. So starting with an OCP is a great place to start, especially if you're in your 30s or 40s. Around the age of 55, we can expect that 90% are postmenopausal. Okay. okay. By 55, 90% women are postmenopausal. Um, there are so many options and it's a matter of like what needs to be replaced, right? So I always say, you know, sometimes you have patients come in who are like, no, it didn't work for me. Well, if your hormone therapy isn't working for you, it's either the dose, the route, or the formulation. Okay. And so first of all, if we just start with like estrogen, what does estrogen do? And, and why do we need to replace it? Um, you know, estrogen could be replaced um, transdermally. So in a patch or a cream, um, it can be replaced by mouth, just a simple pill, which is probably the least expensive way. And we even have a vaginal ring that will give you a systemic dose of hormone therapy. So there are plenty of, plenty of options and ways to treat that. Typically, um, our estrogen level, that's what supports all of our female organs, right? All of our sex organs, stimulates the growth of breast tissue, just healthy reproductive organs, um, keeps the vagina moisturized, elastic, and well-supplied with blood flow, right? And during perimenopause, those levels start to fluctuate, become more unpredictable, and eventually the production, you know, <laughs> plummets. It's very low. Um, and that leads to our vasomotor symptoms, the hot flushes, the night sweats, the insomnia, the fatigue, the headaches, the vaginal dryness, and all of the things, Right. So we have several options to treat them and they, you know, people come in and bioidentical is like, it's a brilliant marketing term, right? But we have FDA approved bioidentical hormones. So you do not need to go get some compounded hormones or a pellet where there may be byproducts in there that we're unaware of, or it may not be a consistent dosing, right? So every time it's like, you know, groundhog day, we're starting all over again, um, <laughs> So I love using FDA approved bioidentical hormones because bioidentical, you know, it indicates like what, that, that we get the benefits without any risk. I mean, that's just not true. It's not true at all. Um, so we want a, a predictable dose and we don't want all the um, other byproducts that could be there. Okay. If you have a uterus still, if you have not had a hysterectomy, you need to take a progesterone and the progesterone, you know, that is what prepares the lining of the uterus for a fertilized egg. And then if you don't get pregnant, that progesterone drops off, right? But it supports an early pregnancy. Um, the lack of progesterone is what causes the periods to become irregular or erratic, heavier, or longer during perimenopause. And so we need to replace progesterone at night because it is sedative. So there are a couple of formulations for this as well, but typically, you know, I'm using this orally. Another off-label use is to do a progesterone IUD. My preference is the Mirena because it has an indication for heavy vaginal bleeding. It has the best bleeding profile. I So let me just be transparent, okay? I started hormone therapy. I have a progesterone IUD. I love it because I don't bleed in a bloat and a cramp. I don't go down that aisle. I only think about periods when I talk to my patients. So I love that. And I will ride or die this baby to menopause, okay? Excellent. However, <laughs> oral progesterone therapy actually is sedative and helps patients to sleep better. Oh, great. So, and sleep is a big issue. That's one that even if you don't have a uterus, you may want to add that simply because it's going to help with that insomnia and that difficulty sleeping. However, if we solve the hot flashes with the estrogen, sometimes you don't need it, right? Yeah. Okay. 
And so, and I started transdermal estrogen as well. Wonderful. Yeah. So feel great. Um, Not yet. (laughs) Consistent use, consistent use, right? I mean, I just started on a Friday, but you know, I was having all of the symptoms that my patients are complaining about irritability and fatigue and, you know, vaginal dryness, you know, like all the things going on. And I'm like, is this perimenopause or is it just that I'm a business owner and I'm an entrepreneur and this is all overwhelming and I don't know what I'm doing. And it's probably just stress, right? Because we're going to talk it up to something else. That's what women do typically. (laughs) Okay. So anyways, you've got oral option. I I, transdermally, I just, women just don't absorb the progesterone transdermally. I don't see it. It's not a reliable option. So orally or a progesterone IUD for that. And then testosterone is another option. What the evidence tells us about testosterone. We always think about this as the male hormone, right? But women produce testosterone and it helps play a role in estrogen production. It contributes to libido and it can help even with bone and muscle mass. So what the data tells me though about testosterone is that in postmenopausal women, testosterone replacement helps to improve um, sexual desire and, and issues with sexual satisfaction. So that's where we're mostly using it. However, if I have a perimenopausal woman who consistently has undetectable testosterone levels, because this does happen, I'll go ahead and replace it. And I typically do that transdermally. And I worked at a hormone therapy clinic and developed their gin program and everybody was getting testosterone injections. I get just as good benefits using it transdermally. And there's no female approved, FDA approved um, testosterone in the US. So typically I'll just use Testim, a men's dosing, and we just use a pea size amount and it lasts the patient forever because we need such a small amount in comparison to men. And the goal is never to get you in a super therapeutic level where your testosterone levels are crazy high, like happens a lot with pellets. Um, and pellets are not supported by the North American Menopause Society. And so I abide by the North American Menopause Society recommendations because this is the panel of all the experts uh, practicing evidence-based medicine. Um, so our goal is simply to get you in a therapeutic range where you're feeling better. And so typically you don't have to come in all the time for labs. I'm not measuring this um, consistently um, in a, you know, a certain pattern. It's more, how do you feel, Right. So if we've been, if we've done an eight week trial and you feel better, then we're going to, we're going to keep going. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm actually surprised that there's no FDA approval for women. I feel like it's a pretty commonplace thing. My patients who get testosterone and usually it's prescribed by another practitioner by the time they see me, they've noticed like extreme increase in energy. Right. Um, And of course that you know, could be from the muscle mass or whatever, but, um, I'm just surprised. I'm honestly surprised. And not that we, I don't use things that are off label on occasion, but yeah, I would have thought for sure that the FDA would have that for, for women. Not yet. (laughs) Maybe someday. Yeah. So if you're younger than 60 and within 10 years of menopause, you should have a discussion with your physician. Oh, yes. All of this you should discuss with your medical provider before um, moving forward for sure. Now, what are the drawbacks? What are the side effects of putting you on this hormone replacement therapy? Because everything's going to have a side effect. What's the side effect of estrogen, progesterone, even testosterone? Sure, sure, sure. So, um, you know, you can have 
some bloating. You could have some headaches initially. Um, you know, and as we're talking about hormone therapy, I think it's important for us, you know, to, yeah, not to negate that there are definitely risks. So possible risk with taking hormone therapy would be abnormal uterine bleeding. So your, your bleeding may start back or, re, you know, return. And anytime that happens, then that needs to be evaluated thoroughly because we want to mitigate the risk of, um, endometrial cancer, right? Cancer of that uterus. And that happens when we have endometrial lining there that isn't sloughed off. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Right, right, right. So I commonly see this. Um, I can think of three cases in the last six months where patients have come to me getting hormone therapy from somebody else um, and weren't on adequate progesterone. So they were getting unopposed estrogen, which increases your risk of that endometrial lining building up, getting hyperplasia or malignancy of cancer. So um, we definitely want to avoid that. The other thing is like breast tenderness, some nausea, abdominal bloating, fluid retention, headache, dizziness, mood changes initially, gallstones or pancreatitis from the estrogen. So, you know, all things that we have to consider, and that's why it's a shared decision-making between you and your provider. The problem is that to date, most of the time, it's a big stop when the patient comes. It's like, I don't do that. I'm not even discussing it with you. Mm -hmm. That's what they're receiving from their, from their doctor. You know, I have to sympathize with that. I've been in that same arena. All I've heard is negative things. And, you know, once you get people started on this, it's just, you know, it's, there's no getting off and, you know, the increased risk of cancer and the increased risk of, you know, breast cancer, endometrial cancer, and then, you know, mood swings or hostility if they're on testosterone or weight gain or, you know, all of the things. So, you know, I, I'm in that same camp. I let somebody else, an expert like you handle those things. I'm very comfortable with prescribing vaginal estrogen, especially when you're having specific complaints. And I know that we can dose it for vaginal dryness or something right. like that. Um, but it's the systemic stuff. And which is so funny that you say that hormone replacement therapy is generally less than an OCP because I'll prescribe OCPs all day long. Right. right. So, right. Right. So, I mean, and that's not uncommon and, and that's just, um, a byproduct of the error that we trained in. Right. And, and so what we've been told up to this point, and we're still trying to undo the, missteps from the WHI in 2003. Um, so a great book, if anybody's like super interested in this topic is Estrogen Matters. It is phenomenal, but it presents all of the research. And this individual was an oncologist and he, so it's an MD and a PhD and his own daughter had breast cancer and he, he presented the data to her and she still chose to go on estrogen or on hormone therapy. So, oh, I want to read that. Yeah. So to your point, one of the things I, I wanted to bring up is the fact that vaginal estrogen is local estrogen therapy, right? We're applying it in the local one third of the vagina, typically. Okay. Lower, lower one third of the vagina, I meant to say. So it's local therapy. It is not, um, it does not increase your blood levels of estrogen. It is not systemic in any way, shape or form. So it is addressing the vaginal epithelium that needs blood supply. We have estrogen receptors there, right? And, you know, dryness, especially at the opening of that introitus of the vagina, a lot, a lot of times that's where it's raw and tender. And 
I have totally changed how I do my pelvic exam. So I always start with a Q-tip. And so I tell the patient, you're in control of this exam. You need to let me know if you have any pain. And I touch the month, the labia majora, the labia minora, and the introitus around just like a clock to see where there's any point tenderness and what's going on, especially when they complain, complain of pain. You know, is it the vulva that hurts? Is it the opening, the introitus that hurts? Is it the in the muscle that so the pelvic floor? Because you know I'm obsessed with the pelvic floor. Is it the pelvic floor muscles that are actually painful and we need pelvic floor PT? Yeah. Or is it something else, right? So literally they have like a lumbar disc injury that's creating their vulvar pain, you know? Um, so just taking all of that into account. So yes, I do think you need to see a North American menopause society provider for somebody who's certified in menopause medicine, because this is just an area that we, none of us got adequate training. Yeah. Like there are 20% of medical residents report being comfortable discussing hormone therapy. Oh yeah. I totally could see that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And even as an OB-GYN, I would definitely, I was not this comfortable starting out and I would adhere to lowest effective dose for the shortest period of time. Right. It really depends. Like when do you have to come out for hormone therapy? Honestly, whenever you want, or whenever you have total contraindications where you can't, like you've had, you know, a stroke or an MI or, you know, previous um, blood clot or something of that nature, or you have unexplained vaginal bleeding or some significant liver disease or something of that nature, right? Until your history changes where you just can't do it. If you're symptomatic, I would continue it. Right. Right. So good. Such a good point. Okay. I do want to give us a chance to talk about your practice because because of your osteopathic background, you have a very unique approach to patient care. And I want you to talk about that because what you do at Sky Women's Health isn't really available in your typical OBGYN office. And I wish we had it here in Austin, but it's in Fort Worth for all of our Fort Worth listeners. Can you tell us a little bit more about your unique approach to women who come in your office, maybe even mention like the most typical clients you see what their symptoms are. Yeah. So I think that what is different is that I dreamed of a place where women had the time and space to be heard. Right. And we often are dismissed in the healthcare system and women are frustrated. And whenever you're done having babies, a lot of women don't have the time to take a half day off work to sit in the OB's office. Right. And, and I sympathize. I mean, I was, I, I am she, right. I was her, <laughs> I was, I was the busy OB and, you know, having to reschedule patients because I run out for a delivery. And I reached a point in the middle of COVID where it was like, enough is enough. I value my health and the health of my patients. And I am just, I had this dream of something different. And so what we do differently is we run on time, we have unhurried appointments and we really look for root cause. And so we're just peeling away the layers a lot of times, whether it's sexual dysfunction, whether it's, I don't feel at home in my body anymore. We're really looking at what are your health goals, right? What made you Google and find sky? Um, And whenever we are able to set those, then it kind of gives that like North star as to what we're going to do. Right. And so my favorite encounters are like the perimenopause or the postmenopausal woman who has been to three or four providers and she's got her list of symptoms and she's so frustrated and she comes in and she gets started on hormone therapy. And, you know, I follow back up in two, three months. Typically, I don't like to go too long because I want to make sure initially, it usually takes me three or four months of tinkering to kind of get them where they feel comfortable again. Right. And they come in for a follow-up and are like, oh my God, 
I just feel so much better. Like I can have comfortable sex again. Like I didn't know how dry my vagina was. <laughs> I think we could do a little bit better. How about that Addy? What about that medicine you told me about that helps to increase sexual desire? Right? Okay. So now that, because whenever it hurts, we don't want sex. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, our brain is smart and they think something's wrong with them. And I'm like, it's, nothing's wrong with you. It hurts. <laughs> right. And so we've solved that. And now it doesn't hurt. And she's feeling more herself. And she's like, oh, I think I would like a little more desire, but it's not quite there. Right. So I always like to refer patients to Rosie, the fabulous sexual wellness app developed by OB Jen, uh, Lindsay Harper. Um, that's a great resource for anybody, whether it's erotica or just needing, like, I mean, you can even get like, kind of, you know, PG rated, <laughs> depending yeah. on your points, as well as tons of information. And that there's even like groups and such wellness coaching and things like that. So oh, fabulous great. resource. I think However, we should talk about this more. I mean, I'm on a group chat that we were just like giving a book recommendation. It was um, sex talks. Yeah. We uh, had mentioned on our group text about like, just like when, as you get older and your partner you know, you have kids and every you're busy and everything changes or whatever. So that's another recommendation I'll throw out there. But Rosie, the app, and then Sex Talks is a good yeah. book. Yeah. So, I mean, you're right. Everyone's having sex, but nobody's talking about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so things that used to work for you may not work anymore. And if you don't know what works for you, your partner certainly doesn't because he got just the same sex education you got and it was lousy, right? And so if you're not having these conversations that like, you know, that thing you do that we've, I know we've done it forever, but it's like, if it doesn't work for me anymore, that doesn't feel good. You know, maybe it's here that feels good now, right? But having these open conversations and not, um, not coming at it like, you know, blaming, right? But as a point of like curiosity, right? And don't do it in the act, like, like yeah. on the couch having ice cream or something, you know, they're like, hey, you know, I want to talk about Sex, you know, I think <laughs> I think we can get bring that up. Yeah. <laughs> that, right? Like, you know, there's oh, I was reading about this or I listened to this podcast and this is what I heard. What do you think about this? Where do you think we could do better? You know, I've noticed that my body's changed a little bit, but I think that our culture is so much so based on youth and maintaining youth that we often feel like I don't know, old and haggard and dried up. You know? <laughs> Whatever. Like, I'm gonna work down there. You know, I mean, I think that having these conversations can be daunting or scary because you don't know how your partner is going to perceive it. Right. So that's why, I mean, I love um, Kelly Casperson's books while we're throwing out recommendations. You are not broken. This book is phenomenal for men and women, like good for the whole family over 16, I would say. (laughs) Okay, great. I can't wait. You are not broken. Okay. Lots of regs. By the way, your patients are so lucky to have you. I love the approach you take. Of course, I feel the same way. I feel like, obviously, you know, I want my patients to be able to ask, to have time for all their questions, be able to have an on-time appointment, and then just feel like somebody's listening to them. You're just, I mean, you give me chills listening to you describe your practice. And I love that. Thank you. I mean, I feel like it's magic. It's hard and it's magic, you know, like both are true. It's, It's incredible. Just the feedback, you know, when a, when a patient tells me you've taught me more about my body in the last 15 minutes than any providers ever taught me, it makes me so sad and grateful, you know, like, I'm like, you're welcome. But I also like, that's so sad. Well, keep doing the work you're doing because you're changing lives and that's, that's so important. 
Well, tell us how everyone can find you. you can tell us everything, your Instagram, how to get to your practice. Tell us about your podcast. Sure. So um, skywomenshealth.com. The podcast is Sky Women on all major platforms. Um, we're at Sky Women's Health if you want to look up the practice. And then I'm at Dr. Carolyn Moyers on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, kind of all the places. Yeah. And they got to listen to your podcast. So good. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I, I love it. And you know, the best part right now is that I'm now having patients come in after I feel like I'm talking to a wall a lot of times, you know, when I'm recording and they're coming in saying, I heard your podcast or I found you through social and I listened to a podcast episode and there's that like, no trust factor already coming in, or they're learning about their bodies. You know, now it's a resource where I can send patients to, you know, if they're considering a birth control. I'm like, there's a buffet of options. Go listen to the episode on contraception, yeah. you know, it's oh a lot of fun. Yes. I found the same resource. Yeah. In terms of what I do, what you do, what, you know, our friend, mutual friend Natalie does. It's so nice yeah. to have those resources evergreen. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you, Carolyn, for being here today. I love you. You're such a ray of light. And um, <laughs> thank you. you too. Yeah, I learned so much today. I hope all of you guys listening learned something today. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. Also, subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review. That's really helpful. And I will see you all next week.